This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Jay Severin. By the way, you want to know why Donald Trump is so popular? Hillary Clinton is why. Bill Clinton is why. McConnell is why. Rhinos are why. Lindsey Graham is why. John McCain is why. One of the great ironies of our time, ladies and gentlemen, is that John McCain is complaining about Donald Trump. Jay Severin. Weekdays, 2 to 5 p.m. Eastern. On the Blaze Radio Network. And go for Mike Slater in 3, 2, 1. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater Crusaders, America's the greatest country in the world. Happy Saturday. Happy uh, August. Indeed, August 1st. I had to check for a second. Goodness gracious. Thank you for being here. Um, right, we got three hours. Of course, we're going to talk of some Planned Parenthood. Um, but not only. There's also a law in Los Angeles that we need to chat about. It would force people to surrender their high-capacity magazines to the authorities. So this is just the beginning. It passed 12 nothing. so I want to talk about that bill, what that means, and what's next for that. Also got some uplifting stories today from uh, Louisiana, from the uh, movie theater shooting there a couple weeks back. And also, we have a, a close race for the coolest 8-year-old I've ever heard of. And it's close. It's between either Zion, who is the new recipient of two hands, heard that right, or Bailey, who finished a triathlon and has cerebral palsy and is a baller. So it's a close, we'll we'll tell both of their stories coming up uh, in the next couple hours here. But first, we must talk about Cecil the Lion for a moment. Now, just for the record, before we move any forward, I have no interest in anyone shooting lions. I don't, I'm not pro-shooting lions. And, and I'm not even really going to talk about it, if that's good or bad or whatever. I'm really just focused on people's reaction to the whole thing. Every month or so, well, first of all, every week there's a new most hated villain in the country. And the Twitter sphere just has to find a new person every week. So this is the guy of the week, the dentist in uh, Minnesota. But every month or so, there's a story of uh, some faux outrage because there's some American who's standing next to a dead something, a dead animal. So usually it's a giraffe. And people freak out. And I remember it was a couple months ago, Ricky Gervais riled up the Twitter mob against a guy who shot and killed my favorite animal, the giraffe. And the hunter didn't back down. And he said, all right, Ricky, you're upset about that picture of me posing behind the dead giraffe. And you say, what could have gone wrong in my childhood that I would take pleasure out of doing that? All right, fine. You saw that photo. Let me show you a couple other photos. Here's a picture of the bull's stomach that was covered in scar tissue from all the lions who have been trying to eat the giraffe and left the stomach infected. The bull was past its its uh, breeding age. It was kicked out of the herd. By a younger, stronger bull just wandering out all alone. So either it was going to be eaten by lions or left to rot. Or, third choice, humans can eat it. Which has been the general custom for... ever. So here's a picture of the African men that we employed 
to come on the hunt with us. Here's a picture of the African men we employed to harvest the meat. Here's a picture of the local market where people are selling the giraffe meat. Pure, free-range giraffe. And on and on and on, right? So just there's more to the story, always. But the question is, why does this pop up once a month? It's always a hunting story once a month. And the reason it pops up, and people are outraged over it, is because it requires no actual effort. It's just outrage. It's a few seconds of outrage on Twitter. And then people feel righteous because they did something, even though they didn't do anything. And I really like Matt Walsh's analysis on this from The Blaze the other day. He said, most people don't care about lions. They care about the idea of lions. And there's a big difference between those two things. Let me quote from him real quick. I I think this is spot on. He says, real lions are all the way in Africa. Or else they're in zoos. And you can go and see them or watch them on TV or read about them. But really, lions will never ask anything from us. Our affection for them presents no challenges. We don't have to accommodate them. I can say I love lions, but this love will never require me to do anything. Lions will never inconvenience me. They'll never get in my way. I can defend the lives of lions by angrily tweeting about hunters, and then I can just go on with my life and live however I want and and never be asked to change my lifestyle for their sake in any way. People, on the other hand, are real, and they're here, and they impose themselves on our lives, and they burden us, they surround us, and to care about people is hard. It requires us to to live and act and think and speak differently. And we have to accommodate people and we have to tolerate people and we have to do things for people, especially the most vulnerable and helpless people. And it can be hard to love people. And if you say you love people, life is going to constantly demand that you prove it. If you say you love people... You certainly can't kill your own child, and you can't support the killing of children. And if you don't have kids, you have to be patient and kind with other people's kids. This is very different from loving lions. You can love lions passively, in the abstract. But people must be loved actively and in reality. I I really think that's it. It's from Matt Walsh. It's the same reason... And uh, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. It's the same reason why gay marriage became the main cause of millennials. And it's because it didn't require us to do anything. right? We didn't have to change our lives at all. We didn't have to give any money. We didn't have to go out and do anything. I mean, if if we were going to fight against abortion, well, that would require millennials to change their sex lives. If we were going to defend the poor, stick up for the poor, well, that would actually require donating money. And it's easier to raise taxes on the rich instead of me actually having to give my own money. And if we were going to stop, let's say, human sex trafficking, which is a 
huge problem in America, especially here in San Diego. If we were going to stop human sex trafficking, well, that may actually require us to do something, right? So, so that's why gay marriage is perfect. We don't have to do anything. Gay people are gainfully employed, right? So they don't need any money. I can live however I want to live, and it doesn't affect the cause in any way. I don't have to do anything. There's nothing to do other than just complain on Twitter or change my Facebook profile picture or whatever, right? So gay marriage is perfect. We don't have to do anything, and we can fight the cause. Same thing here with the lion. Now, if there was a lion in your backyard, I bet you have a different opinion on killing the lion. But as long as it's way over there, then, oh, so horrible and awful that someone would kill it. I'm going to tweet about it. Now, Planned Parenthood, abortion, that requires work. It requires work. It requires effort. It requires money. It requires interacting with people. It requires being uncomfortable, breaking out of comfort zones, actually loving strangers. It's hard. We, we talk on the show all the time that we don't fight against things. We fight for people. Fighting for people when it comes to abortion. Young girls, young women, whoever. It's hard. It's hard. It's harder than sending a tweet. And that's why it doesn't appeal to so many women. Even though everyone deep down knows that abortion's wrong. They know deep down. Everyone does. To the point where, do you remember the last video that came out? The phlebotomist who, um, it was her first day at STEM Express up uh, outside Sacramento, California. And uh, she, the nurse or whoever was showing her the different parts of the baby, 11.6 weeks. And she handed over the tweezer to this girl who's, I don't know, 30 years old. A phlebotomist. So she doesn't, I mean, she's used to blood and all that, right? So she takes the tweezers and, and the lady says, oh, show me the leg. And she picks up the leg and blacks out. Immediately blacks out. And then when she woke up, all the nurses and everyone else around her said, oh, is it your first day? And you know what they said? They said, don't worry. Happens all the time. Still happens to us. That's wild. You would think the answer would be, oh, it's your first day? Pff, you'll get over it. You'll get used to it. You won't black out anymore. No, the nurses said, ah, we still black out too. We still pass out ourselves. What? After years of doing this, you still pass? That's how you know deep down these people know it's wrong. Otherwise, why would they keep blacking out? So the point is everyone knows it's wrong, but it's, it's hard. It's hard to fight for this. And as we said a couple weeks ago, I believe our new highest virtue in America, I th the highest virtue I think is courage, uh, but the new highest one is convenience, the virtue of convenience. And uh, man, do it, you know, helping stop abortion and, and lifting up the girls who are pregnant and the women who just had a baby, all the rest, that's, that's hard. Twitter's way easier. Brittany, do we have uh, clip one, uh, the Jerry Seinfeld clip? Ready by any chance? So this is one of my, uh, my, my, one of my new favorite shows is comedians and cars getting coffee. I love it. It's Jerry Seinfeld. 
it's perfect. It's it's such a great show. It's exactly what it sounds like. Jerry Seinfeld gets in an old car with a comedian, and they go and they drive around and they get coffee and they talk, and it's great. Uh, this is an episode with Trevor Noah, uh, which is a name that uh, you will soon know very well. He's taking over for John Stewart on The Daily Show whenever uh, you know it picks back up again. So this is uh, Jerry Seinfeld talking with comedian Trevor Noah. <laughs> Basically, doesn't it seem like we're striving to? take the entire life experience and have it in our underwear you can socialize do work get entertained and get information all in your underwear people are now able to protest in their underwear (laughs) and that almost defies what protesting should be about the whole point of a protest is to get up out of your bed put your clothes on walk out into the cold and say i stand for this i march for this now you don't really have to have that conviction no because you're in your on the couch in your underwear you're going you know what i don't like it either in this 10 minute time frame punching a few characters and you go yeah yeah i fought for the cause no you didn't it's the protesters outside the chinese thing but there's no anti-protesters because the people are like yeah yeah i like china i like iphones so i'm not gonna that's amazing um it's true isn't it I'll end with this. We gotta take a break. Uh, as bad as the attacks on this dentist who killed Cecil, right? As bad as those attacks are, I guarantee you they would be even worse if this dentist was caught crushing the body parts of lion cubs in order to harvest lion organs. But baby body parts, eh? One eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. Mike Slater. So the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater. Slater Crusaders. one 933 Want to uh, read this quote here. And uh, you can take a guess on Twitter, Slater Radio, what this article is about. Okay, so here it is. As is true for many types of violence, the savagery, torture, and sadism that makes this industry so profitable will be collectively tolerated only if we are not forced to confront the reality. What is that article about? Slater Radio on Twitter. I'll say it again real quick. So uh, so what topic is this about? As is true for many types of violence, the savagery, torture, and sadism that makes these industries so profitable will be tolerated only if we are not forced to confront their reality. Slater Radio on Twitter. I'll tell you the answer in, in just a, a minute here, if anyone gets it right. Um, it's interesting. I mean, we, we all know, and I put this on Facebook, whatever, Wednesday or something, and uh, I got more shares than anything we've, we've shared in a while. And I said, you know, it seems that people are more upset over the death of that line than Planned Parenthood harvesting baby organs. And also that people are more outraged over Tom Brady destroying his phone than Hillary Clinton destroying thousands of emails. 
and continually lying about it. It's bizarre world. It's absolute bizarre world. It's back. It's backwards, upside down. Moral relativism. It's really interesting. The whole concept of it, and it comes up often. Moral relativism, and it's fascinating because not only is everything by some standard moral, right? You you could make everything seem moral by making up the standard. So you could say, well, sure, I killed one person, but you killed two. So I'm better than you, which makes me a good person. So it's moral, like moral relativity. You're comparing against someone who's worse. You can always find someone worse. So that's an interesting part about it, too. But also it leads to, if you live in this culture of moral relativism, then you're also going to lead to selective and inconsistent moralizing. Right, And that's why it's, let's be outraged over the killing of this lion and not over the systematic killing of these humans. Just because we're inconsistent with it. Because we're not judging it based off of a single moral standard. It's all relative. I guarantee you, if there was a story of a veterinarian who was doing a partial birth abortion on puppies, I mean... People would burn everything to the ground. Like that, 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 that would be their reaction. People would be so outraged, so mortified. How could you crush babies inside the, or puppies inside the womb? They would just burn buildings to the ground because they wouldn't even know how to control themselves. They'd be so outraged. But babies, like, hey, whatever. Women's right to choose. Amazing. Let me make one more statement on moral relativism and then we can move on to some other topics here. But for us, let's never just try and be better than the next guy. Because if you're only trying to be better than the next guy, you're always going to be good enough because you can always find someone who's worse than you. We must hold ourselves up against a higher standard because that way we're always striving for better Right? If you hold if you hold it up against a higher standard, you're always striving to be better, as opposed to being content with being a little bit better than the worst. Right? That that's not a good place to be. Content with being a little bit better than the worst. That's no good. As opposed to like, geez, we gotta I gotta strive, I gotta do better, I gotta fix this, I gotta do more, right? And to, to try to be to compare yourselves with, with the best. Dr. David Jeremiah, I get to from Shadow Mountain, I get to talk with him every week. And uh, I brought this up with him, and he says, "Yeah, you know, God doesn't grade on the curve. It's not. It's not. It's not relative. There's a standard. So it's always tried to do that because that's the conservative movement deserves it. It deserves a standard, objective truth, and a consistent truth." And anything less than that is doing a disservice to what we're trying to do here. The quote that I shared to start off the segment, I got a uh, couple suggestions here. Sandy said it's about abortion. No, it's not about abortion. Um, The quote about savagery and torture and sadism and the fact that it's only allowed because it's profitable and it's only tolerated because people are not forced to confront what's happening. That is a quote from an article about minks used to make mink coats. 
PETA loves the undercover videos that reveal animal torture. That's what that quote was about. Minx. Not babies. 1-888-933-93. Slider Radio on the Twitter. Mike Slater Show. Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater is on. Humans of New York. Have you ever heard of it? It's a fun uh, blog. And they go around and find people in New York City that look interesting and take their picture and then tell a a short little story about them. I think they have like 14 million followers on Facebook or something like that. It's really cool blog. It's fun to check out every, uh, every once in a while. And I want, to, I want to share this story because Arthur C. Brooks, he has a new book called The Conservative Heart. And his biggest piece of advice, I think we already mentioned it today, is to not fight against things, but fight for people. And actually throughout the show, we'll come up with a bunch of other examples for that and why, why that's so important. Don't fight against things, fight for people. And I thought this uh, example was, was just perfect. So last week, Humans of New York, they found a couple walking down the street. And they stopped them. And, and, you know, they just ask a few questions. The, the write-up that they put under the picture is just tiny paragraph. So they posted this picture of the couple on Facebook. And here was the story. This is a quote from the guy. He said, when I was 16, or excuse me, I was 16 when my girlfriend got pregnant. We went to the abortion clinic on 59th Street. We filled out the papers and everything. Then, right before we were called back, we looked at each other. And we said... Let's get out of here. So it wasn't a picture of just the two of them. It was the picture of the three of them with their baby, who's now you know, four. So here's the best part of this, this Humans of New York blog. The original purpose was to show how different we are, how diverse we are. Because we've talked before about this cult of diversity that we have, right? It's all about diversity. And that was the point of this blog, right? Walk around New York City. Oh my gosh, look how diverse everyone is. Look, everyone looks different. Everyone's got their own story. Let's show people like how different people look and how different their stories and all the rest. So start this blog and then quickly found out this isn't a blog about how different we are. This is a blog about how united we are, about how similar we are, about how connected we are, about how relatable we are, about how much we have in common. That's my favorite part about it. Because it's like, oh, look at this person who looks different. But if we interview them for a second, we find out, oh, they lost their, whatever the story is, oh, lost their dad when, when they were 10. And then this person over here who looks totally different, well, they also lost their dad when they were 10. So these two people have a lot more in common than it may look. And that's what this blog is about. It's about how, how much we have in common. So they put this post on their Facebook page. And because of their story, they're sharing their story. 
Hundreds of other people shared theirs. Vonalina said, I canceled mine the morning of the appointment. My boy is 17 now. Here's another one. I was 16 and pregnant and also went to an abortion clinic. They did an ultrasound and turned the screen away from me. And the doctor said I wasn't allowed to see because it might make me change my mind. I started crying, sat up and said, I I think I just did. Now my son is almost nine and I don't know what I'd do without him. Erica said my first child is adopted. She's almost three months old. Her birth mom is one of the bravest people I know. She made two appointments to go to the abortion clinic. But the both times she couldn't go through with it. I'm forever grateful for, for her for giving us what we struggled to have for years. Goes on and on. How about this one? Charlotte was in that exact same position at 17. However, I was alone at the abortion clinic. Changed my mind the last minute. And now my daughter's 24, best friend I've ever had. She looks out for me, very protective of me. She's my biggest cheerleader. You get the idea. Just uh, tons of stories. Just like this on, on that one, on the one Facebook post. So why do I share it? Let's not fight against things. Let's fight for people. Let's not fight against Planned Parenthood. Yes, please hear what I'm saying. Of course, we, but we don't fight Planned Parenthood by fighting Planned Parenthood. We fight Planned Parenthood by lifting up and fighting for the soon-to-be moms. By fighting for the babies. And we fight by finding more of these stories of triumph. That's how we we fight for people, and that's how we fight against Planned Parenthood. I love the word triumph. It's such a good word. It originally refers to success in battle. It was exclusive to to battle success. And I guarantee you, for these people, in each of these situations, it felt like a battle. It felt like they were in battle. And they were successful. They were triumphant. And goodness, they deserve to be lifted up and celebrated and and held up as an inspiration for other men and women who are in this same situation right now. What an opportunity we got right here to fight for people instead of against things. Because it's so obvious. It's right here. These people are all around us. So some unsolicited advice for Republican leadership. When you attempt to defund Planned Parenthood or stop giving federal tax dollars to Planned Parenthood, $500 million a year, when you present this or when it passes or whatever, have a big press conference and have a bunch of people on stage, 50 people, and each person, whether they're a child or an adult or Parents who had uh, a, a recipient of an adoption or whatever, right? Like, tell their stories, right? The child or adult who was going to go through with an abortion, the parents who were going to go through with it but didn't, the children who, who were the result of that, does it, right? Like, get up to tell their stories, share their lives. That's how you change hearts.
And it's only possible if you fight four people. And it's not just on the Humans of New York blog. It actually went on Twitter as well. Um, there was a hashtag last couple of days. Hashtag unplanned parenthood. Unplanned parenthood. Just a couple of their stories. Uh, we were going to wait until we paid off our student loans and had a house. God had a better idea. My birth mother was 16 when she had me. She gave me up for adoption. I'm alive because of that decision. They sat in a clinic. Her name was called. Dad held her hand and said, we can't do this. Seven months later, my brother's born. We were scared. We were students. We had no money. And they posted a picture of two little girls sleeping on a couch. I love that. We were scared. We were students. We had no money. So many of these abortion stories, these unplanned, or I guess the unabortion stories, they're so good. I don't want to say don't let them go to waste. That's not right. But use these stories for, for good. That's how you really make a difference. Or you can try to tear down Planned Parenthood. But that's not going to work because that's not changing hearts. I was on uh, Fox News what day? Wednesday and talking about Planned Parenthood. And the Tom Brady scandal broke or that press conference was whatever. So we got pushed back and we only had a really short time. I could actually only uh, had time to say one thing. It was me and Martha McCallum. I said one thing. And it was the only thing I really wanted to say anyway. So it was fine. I said to anyone who's disturbed by these videos and wants and feels called to do something, please contact your local crisis pregnancy center. These are pro-life pregnancy centers. And these are the people who, through love, meet these young girls and women where they are, work with them through their pregnancy and after their baby is born. So it, these crisis pregnancy centers give these girls another option that they probably didn't even know existed. And everyone, they need every volunteer, men, men especially. If 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 you can, if your talents max out at handing out diapers to new moms every other Saturday morning, beautiful. <laughs> you're needed. You're needed. Truly, you're needed. I haven't talked with a local leader of a crisis pregnancy center, and she said, we need men there because a lot of these women have never had a real stable relationship with a man. So to see a man who's loving and giving and serving, it means the world. So even if that's the max of your talent, handing out diapers, you have gifts that are far beyond that, and that's just loving and caring and serving. So please reach out to a local crisis pregnancy center. And if you had an abortion or involved in some way, goodness gracious, you're needed in this movement more than anyone. Because you have the compassion and understanding more than anyone to lift women up and give give them another option. 
one eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. One eight hundred one eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. Abortion really should be the easiest issue to fight for people on. Because it's literally about saving people's lives. Slater Radio on Twitter, Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Mike Slater. We all know that lying leads to more lying. We've all been there. Hopefully the last time you've been there was a long time ago, but everyone remembers, at least when you're a kid, uh, and you tell your parents a lie, right? Whether you're eight years old and you stole money from your mom's purse, or you're 16 and you're going to your friend's house, or whatever, and now you got to lie to cover up the lie, to cover up the next cover-up, to cover up the lie, and it gets worse and worse and worse, and lying becomes exhausting. It's so weird how when we get caught in a lie, our instinct is to tell another lie to save face, right? And before you know it, you're 10 lies deep, and now it's impossible to get out of the grave you've dug. And also in the end, the, 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 the end lies, the final lies are worse than the original lie. I bring that up because Planned Parenthood is digging deep right now. We all know about the videos and all the rest. Uh, so they've hired a PR team, SKD Knickerbocker. They are a, uh, they have a couple different branches, but they're a crisis management firm, really. And uh, they were big, uh, the big group behind a marriage equality movement. And they're made up of former Barack Obama um, communications directors. SKD Knickerbocker. So Planned Parenthood went to them to try to get them out of this mess. You know what they did the other day? The, the, well, the, whole, the big picture, clearly, they, they figured out that the way to get Planned Parenthood out of this is for Planned Parenthood to become the victims. Right, Planned Parenthood, they're the victims in this whole thing. That's the pitch. That's the big picture pitch. So one way they did that, I think this was on Thursday, they faked the Planned Parenthood website being hacked. So two days ago, if you went to PlannedParenthood.org, a screen came up and it said, our site is not available due to an attack by extremists. That's you. Pro-life people are extremists. And then it says 200,000 people a day are now being blocked from information and care by this attack. For more information about the attack, please visit Planned Parenthood Action Fund's Facebook page. And you click a link, and naturally it goes right to the donation page. Now, interesting uh, that they were totally hacked. But luckily, the hackers made it possible for Planned Parenthood officials to change the front page of the website in the meantime. Which is curious. Also, a bunch of computer geeks went in and read the source code for the website, and they found that the source code describes the site change as a temporary campaign. And a bunch of other technical point, uh, technical things that they found as well. But the point is, it's absolutely clear 
that the Planned Parenthood PR team, SKD Knickerbocker, sat around a table the other day and they said, what do we do? They said, we got to be the victims here. Let's make a, let's, let's say that the website was hacked by extremists and then people will feel bad for us and we'll link to the donation page and all the rest. They hacked their own website. So I guess they were right. I mean, they said they were hacked by extremists. Indeed, they were. They, they are the extremists. And also, when they said 200,000 people are blocked from information about healthcare, you blocked the 200,000 people. Amazing. Now, no surprise here, right? No surprise that Planned Parenthood would ever go along with such an uh, unethical tactic. And I think it's great. Keep lying. <laughs> I keep lying. Your chickens will come home to roost. You'll continue to be exposed. Keep lying. It's only a matter of time. one 888 You keep lying, Planned Parenthood. Put the mantle down. The mantle of caring and loving. We'll pick it back up. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater, America's the greatest country in the world. Thank you for being here. Happy Saturday. Uh, so Cecil the Lion. We all know way more about Cecil the Lion than we, than we ever knew before. Uh, and we're all on the same page with this. It's pretty clear that that it's strange, the the attention that Cecil the Lion has gotten, as, as opposed to Cecile, the CEO of Planned Parenthood. And it's strange how late-night TV show hosts are crying over a lion being shot, as opposed to hundreds of thousands of babies being killed a day. Anyway, I think, I think we get all that stuff. And again, for the record, I'm not celebrating killing the lion. I guess my point is, you can you. Sh- it's okay to be upset about both, right? It's good. Okay, I, I'm not. You can be upset about the season of the lion being killed, but I don't understand how you could be upset at Cecil and not the hundreds of thousands of babies. That's holding those two views simultaneously is is the uh, something I don't understand. This guy who killed uh, Cecil. Was it in Zimbabwe? Was that right? Yeah, so that's what's weird because <laughs> a couple of things. First of all, the people of Zimbabwe, like who am I to say that it's wrong to kill the lion? Because the people of Zimbabwe allow it, right? They have permits for it and they have laws protecting it and you can do it. So if if they were so morally opposed to it, then it would be completely outlawed. But it's not. This guy wasn't a poacher. I mean, he was doing this all above board, and they you know they thought they were killing one lion versus the other, whatever, right? But so it's not my cup of tea. But I mean, the people of Zimbabwe seem to be okay with it. Not to mention the fact that the president of Zimbabwe turned ninety one a couple of months ago, and at his birthday party, 
They ate. Actually, before I tell you, we'll take some guesses. We'll let people take some guesses on on Twitter. President of Zimbabwe turned 91 years old. They had a big festival, right? And and everyone, they're not everyone there. I'm assuming that the thousands of people didn't eat this, but the 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 family and friends. What did they eat? What did they feast on for dinner at the president of Zimbabwe's birthday party? Slater Radio on Twitter. What did what did they eat? So once you know what the answer is, and I'll tell you at the end of the segment. Once you know what the answer is, you look at this line. You're like, well, I mean, I, I wouldn't kill one, but I don't know. They seem to be okay with it. Anyway, point is, people want to murder this guy. They want to murder him. Someone on Facebook said they went all ISIS on this guy. They said he should be beheaded and mounted. <laughs> I'm thinking, what? Why do people have this reaction? I want to go on a little thought experiment here. Two, two thought experiments. First, you're walking down the street. You come across a house on fire. And you're, only one, you're the only one there. You call the fire and they're on their way, but they're not there yet. And from the outside, you hear two noises. First, you hear the howls of a dog. And second, you hear the screams of an infant. You run inside and you realize that you only have time to save one. Which do you save? The dog or the baby? I'm going to let you sit on it for a second. Which do you save? And you're thinking, Slater, I don't need time to think about it. I know exactly what I would do. I'll, I'll give you time to reconsider. Maybe you can leave that answer on Twitter, too. Which would you save? Now, uh, if you can't answer that immediately, which I would imagine we would all be able to. Let, let me let me change the terms here a little bit. Okay, so put the, put the burning building aside. Let's say... Uh, you're walking down the street and there is a uh, bus hurtling down the street and it is going to hit a person and a dog and you only have time to save one. Which do you save? Do you save the person or do you save the dog? Now let me let me change this a little bit. Uh, the person is a foreign tourist, and the dog is your dog. About to get hit by a car, a foreign tourist or your dog? Which do you save? So my uh, producer, my local producer, and I, we went to uh, the beach this morning. And we walked around and we asked people that very question. We asked eh, maybe 30, I don't think 40. So we'll go with 30 people in 40 minutes, right? Like we just asked people all around that very same question. Of the 30, we'll say it was 30 people. Of the 30, one. One person said they would save the human being. One. 
in that study that they did a couple years back, 40% of people said they would save the dog. Over the human being, like the actual human, they went with the dog. Now, uh, they went ahead and they, they changed the terms a little bit. So instead of a foreign tourist, now it's a hometown stranger. So you don't know the person, but they're from America. The study that was done, 37% of people said they would save the dog. Your dog. A distant cousin. 25% said they would save the dog over a family member. So we asked this question uh, this morning, and and we went down the line just like this. And uh, I'd say, uh, you know, for a foreign tourist, and they'd be like, oh, dog. Definitely I'd save my dog. Okay, what about someone from America? Oh, dog. I'd say, okay, what about a distant cousin? Um, yeah, I'd say my dog. <laughs> wow. Oh, your cousin. Uh, okay. So then the last one is best friend. And I'm not even kidding. One person said there were a couple and the, the girl, she's maybe 30. She goes, um, and her boyfriend goes over Therese. And the girl goes, yeah, I don't know. And I said, well, what do you want me to get Therese on the phone and, and see what she thinks about your hesitation? Turns out 7% of people would save the dog over their best friend. 5% would save the dog over their grandparents, and 2% would save the dog over their sibling. Isn't that wild? So what, one more uh, change of terms. Uh, back to the foreign tourist. 13% of people would save a dog. So there's a random dog over a random tourist. 13% of people would still choose the dog. Now, we don't know what people would actually do if they saw the situation. But the fact that they would even answer in this way says a lot about what's going on. And I think it says a lot about who we are. What do you I mean, what do you think it says? What's your conclusion on this study a couple years ago and my experience at the beach today? I asked 30 people. Only one person said they would save the human. I had to give him a hug. I said, sir, can I give you a hug? And he said, yeah, why? I said, you're the only person here who said human. And he said, no. I I said, yes, you're the only person who said human. 1-888-933-93. What does this say about us? It's so many people would choose dog over a human being. one 933 93 Joan, uh, I think her last name is Dunnier. To go back to the first example with the burning house and the dog and the baby on the inside, which would you save? Joan Dunnier, she's a big-time animal rights activist, graduated from Princeton, she's written a couple books. I think her most recent book is Speciesism. She says that if you're going into that burning building... And you can only save either the dog or the baby. You should flip a coin. Slater Radio on Twitter for your answer. Or you can call one 888 What does this study say about who we are, where we are? one 888 Also, the president of Zimbabwe. I promised I would give that answer. The president of Zimbabwe, which is where Cecil the Lion was shot the other day, uh, on his 91st birthday a couple months ago, he and his family feasted on 
Baby elephant. Baby elephant. Not not full-grown elephant, not almost dead elephant. Baby elephant. But no one really cared about that. Don't know why. 1-888-933-93. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. We'll continue in a moment. On the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Mike Slater. This is interesting. Just got a text from... Uh, all too touchy. He said, uh, listening to the blaze, uh, bro, in this day and age, people are whipping out cell phone and taking video human without question, which is interesting. I never thought about that. What if there was a video of this happening, of this scene? Let's do uh trolley tracks, right? So there's a trolley train, whatever. And a human is stuck in the train or subway train. Human is stuck on the track and a dog is stuck on the track. And there's someone taking video of this. And someone jumps on the tracks, pulls the dog's legs out, runs off the tracks, and the human gets hit by the train. And someone took a video of the whole thing. Like, people would freak out! Don't you think people would... I mean, I would think people would be like, what did you do? You... The, the human! What do you... Or would everyone be like, oh, thank God, Fido. Oh, my God, we saved Fido. I mean, 40% of people said they would save the dog. Do you think half the people on the subway platform would be like, oh, great job, made the excellent choice? Or would I would imagine everyone would be like, you idiot. What did you just do? But also a funny concept here about how if there's cell phone video, like that makes a difference. As opposed to just the right thing. <laughs> no matter who's watching or if anyone's watching. At all. But I get the cell phone kind of, I guess that's interesting. It makes it, it probably shouldn't, but it makes it even more real, like more like you're more accountable to what you do because everyone's going to see it and everyone's going to see it a million times on YouTube and people will be like, what did you do? You you left the human to die. (laughs) So I brought this up on the beach today asking people because again, everyone except for one guy said they'd save their dog. I said, all right, Let's switch it up. Let's say you are about to get hit by a bus. You and my dog. And I run and save my dog, leaving you to die. So what would you say to me right before you get hit by a bus? And a couple people were like, oh, I don't know. I guess I'd be dead. And then, but, but a lot of people said, I'd say you made the right choice. Uh, you know what they said? They said, yeah, I'd say I understand. I understand why you did that. No, you don't. No, you, there's no way that if you were about to get my car or a tra- a bus and I saved the dog, there's no way you would be like, hey, good choice, buddy. I would have done the same. You would say, you are out of your mind. I'm a human being. What are you doing? <laughs> Amazing. So, 
we're gonna we're gonna put this video together and uh, should be ready in a couple of days and we can watch it on uh, our Facebook page. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter and, and find it there right when it comes out. I am a firm believer that there is nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. Plutarch was a ancient Greek historian. And he wrote this in one of his books. He said, Augustus, right, so Emperor Augustus, seeing some wealthy strangers at Rome, carrying up and down with them in their arms and bosoms young puppy dogs, embracing and making much of them. And Augustus asked whether the women in their country bore children or not. And Augustus, reflecting upon persons who spend and lavish upon brute beasts, that affection and kindness which nature had implanted in us to be bestowed on those of our own kind. In other words, that love and affection, according to Augustus, that these rich people were lavishing on their puppies, should be lavished on other humans. So this is Augustus saying that. In the year you know, zero, right? so 2,000 years ago, Augustus is saying, what's up with people and their dogs? <laughs> a little over the top with the whole loving the puppy thing over the humans. To the point where he said, hey, ladies, do you have babies where you live? Or is this just all? You just only have dogs. Like, what's, what's going on in the town over where you're from? So that was 2,000 years ago. And today, 40% of people would save their dog from a speeding bus over a human being. That's the culture. I was going to say that's the culture we've built, but that's the culture we've regressed back to because, again, there's nothing new under the sun. It's like the scene from Hunger Games. I think it's the first movie when they're riding on the train and Woody Harrelson's character reaches across the table and Katniss takes a knife and stabs him. Almost. Just right between his fingers. And stabs the table. And the purple lady from the Capitol, she says, that is mahogany. Coming from the perspective of the Capitol, someone who's obsessed with material wealth only, that table has worth. Katniss's life does not. The table, that table is mahogany. But you, well, we're going to sacrifice you, human being. Material wealth over people. Animal welfare, (laughs) according to Augustus, over people. And again, in the context of there's nothing new, but the internet age has just made it a lot easier for all of us to concern ourselves with things in far off distant places. And even non-existent drama all while ignoring the issues under our nose. Charles Dickens wrote a book uh, called Bleak House. I forget when he wrote, 18-something. And the main character, she I forget, her name's Mrs. Blisby or Belby or something. Uh, she is absolutely obsessed with helping people in Africa. And she's so, and they're, they're in London, she's so obsessed with it that she neglects her own home and her own husband And her own children.
book was written over 100 years ago. So the point is a lot of people have always been concerned about lions rather than the, rather than the lives of the people around them. One eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. So what do we do with all this? I'll wrap up with this. There was a concentration camp in Germany, Buchenwald. And after the war, it was liberated. Uh, General Patton, uh, Omar Bradley, and Eisenhower all toured the camp. And you know what they did? They got 2,000 German citizens from the town nearby to march five miles uphill. German men and women wearing their Sunday's finest, marching up the hill to the camp and had them walk through the concentration camp. The camp was, that was right by their house. Four days after the camp was liberated, thousands of bodies still piled high. And you know what the most common thing was said by the Germans on that tour? We didn't know. We didn't know. We didn't know. We didn't know. How many people do you think watched those Planned Parenthood videos and had the same reaction? Oh my gosh, I didn't even know. We need more of those people. Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network. Slider Crusaders, one 933 Slider Radio on the Tweet Machine. Thanks for being here. So, what's the date? August 1st? So we got a little time to talk about this and figure this out, but I think it's worth throwing out there now. So anti-abortion groups are planning a nationwide protest against Planned Parenthood on Saturday, August 22nd. Um... I have, I, I want to make sure it's, how do I work? Well, let me, let me tell you a little more about it. 40 groups have already signed on and the plan is to meet outside local Planned Parenthood affiliates from nine to 11 AM. And three groups have said that they have banners that say Planned Parenthood sells baby parts and other things like that. I have some concerns about this event and and how it could be perceived. So let me make this first general statement. It really almost doesn't matter why you're doing it. It's all about how you are perceived. I know that this effort is motivated by love. Obviously, it's a pro-life effort. But if it's perceived as hateful, then it's absolutely counterproductive. And my concern is that an, a, a massive protest like this will be very easy for the media to make it look like a hateful group of people who are against young mothers. And it could alienate. So there's, there's a couple of different ways. Like there's, there's a micro, a macro, and... and my other point is it doesn't really do anything. So let's go through each of those. So micro, first of all, imagine if you're a 16-year-old girl, 18-year-old, unplanned pregnancy, and you don't know what to do. That You literally don't know what to do. 
You don't know if you should have the baby. You don't know if you should have an abortion. You don't know how your parents are going to react. You don't know how your friends are going to react. You don't know how your job is going to react. You don't know what you're going to do with college. You, you have no idea what you're going to do with this. So you're like, ah, I'll go to Planned Parenthood because that's what society says you're supposed to do. So you drive to Planned Parenthood and you get there and you park and you see all these people, like hundreds of people outside protesting. And, and it's going to feel like, again, put yourself in the shoes of a 16-year-old girl. It's going to feel like they're protesting you. So you're going to walk through this gauntlet of people with signs and banners and all stuff. You walk through the gauntlet of people. Run. Because you're scared and embarrassed. And then you get inside. And there will be people inside who will be seen as caring and loving and supportive and compassionate. And it's backwards. Because it's the people who are outside are the ones who are motivated by love. And it's the people who are inside who are the ones who are pushing for abortion. But they do it in a loving way. Or what's seen as a loving way. And any effort that makes Planned Parenthood look supportive and compassionate. Goodness, that's the opposite of what we want. And I'm not sure how a protest could not end in that result. So I talked about this on my local show the other day. And someone called in and said, Slater... If we can keep one girl from going inside a Planned Parenthood and having an abortion, then it's worth it. And I said, well, okay, but what if you only keep her from going into the Planned Parenthood when you're there? What's to stop her from, from coming back tomorrow? Have you changed her heart or have you just made her scared? And... Sure, let's let's say you do save that one girl, but your actions then push nine other girls to get pregnancy, to get abortions. Is that is that worth it? Is that good? I don't think so. So what do we do? Um well, as we've been saying, we're not against things. We stand for people. We don't fight against things. We stand for people. So, I don't know, but I would encourage something like a, like a day of service. A massive nationwide volunteering effort at local crisis pregnancy centers. Making people aware that these things even exist. But again, we need marathon runners, not sprinters. We don't need people who are just going to do something for a day. We need people who are going to donate and serve long term. But still, a day's good, right? So let's say 10,000 people are going to show up nationwide to these protests. I don't know what good that does. I don't know. What, I really don't know. But now imagine what 10,000 people who, let's say, donate three hours of, de- of service at a pro-life pregnancy center. That's 30,000 hours of service. Well, good. Now we're talking, right? Now we're actually lifting people up. Now we're actually changing hearts as opposed to tearing things down. Because really, especially with something like Planned Parenthood, something that's evil, when you try and tear them down, it only makes them stronger. Right? It really does. I don't know how that works like that, but when you try to tear them down, it makes them stronger. And Planned Parenthood, as we talked about earlier with their crisis management team, they're trying to frame themselves as the victims throughout this entire thing. 
So we got to be careful not to give that presentation any credibility at all. They're 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 so desperate. Planned Parenthood is that they went to this crisis management team that's run by former Obama uh, communications directors SKD Knickerbocker. Um, they faked their own website being hacked. We talked about talked about this in the last hour. Planned Parenthood faked their website being hacked by pro life extremists. They hacked their own website and made it look like other people hacked it. They want to be the victim so this so badly. So anything we do that actually could ever be perceived in any way to make them look like a victim is, is exactly what they want. And I know it's frustrating because I know you're mo- people are motivated by love. And you're thinking, well, we're not doing anything wrong. I know you're not. But anything that can be perceived, anything that can be manipulated by the media to look like hate, they're going to grab it and they're going to run with it. But, you know, and I don't know if this is the right answer, but a day of service. I don't care what master editors you have at the video bay back at, you know, NBC News or at the New York Times. A day of service cannot possibly be spun to look like a hateful, evil thing, right? So we got to do something where it's just beyond reproach. I hope that makes sense. And I know no one asked me, by the way. No, <laughs> none of the 40 groups are, who are involved in this called me up like, Slater, what do you think we should do? No one asked me my opinion on this. But I'll tell you, I love the passion and I love the fight. I'm in it. I love the drive. I love the mission. But we just got to make sure it works to our desirable end. Here, here's the goal. Here, here, and I don't know what it looks like, but here's the goal as, as I see it. What can we do so that a young girl or a woman who's in a crisis pregnancy says, I choose whatever side those people are on those people are loving and caring and thoughtful and compassionate and uplifting and those people are going to be with me throughout this entire process and they make it a lot less scary and I am hopeful now That needs to be our goal. We need to be, we need to be those people so that a young woman looks at us and looks at Planned Parenthood and says, my heart says, I got to side with these people. And I don't even really know what that means yet, but I know that these people really have my best interest at heart. That needs to be the goal, I think. So whatever we can do to make that happen, then let's, uh, I'm all in. one 933-93. And if you have any ideas, I'd love to hear them. Slater Radio on Twitter. You can leave a message on our Facebook page as well. You can search for the Mike Slater Show on Facebook. So I don't know what the I don't know what the things are to do, but I know what the end goal is should, should be. This is what I think it should be for young women to say, "Wow, I I want to. I don't even know. I, I want these people. I don't know what it is about them. I don't even know what their plan is, but I, I they're good. I can tell that these are the people that I want to be on their side." And then we work with these women through their pregnancy and after their birth. Beautiful. How do you get better than that?
one eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three, and I'd love to, for your thoughts on on Twitter as well. Slater Radio on Twitter. Coming up next, uh, we'll, we'll start our contest for the coolest eight year old. I've narrowed it down to two eight year olds for the day. We'll tell both of their stories coming up next. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Jennifer wrote on Twitter, she said, love your show. Thanks, Jennifer. Crisis centers need more positive attention. I had no idea they existed. <laughs> Me either, Jennifer. Until about a year ago, someone came to our church, talked about um, one, or someone in our church talked about one, uh, and then they uh, went up and, uh, a month or so ago, talked about it again. They had a big fundraiser. And I was, oh my gosh, I, like, I felt such a calling to talk more about these places. I had no idea either until a year ago. And I, most people don't. I got a couple minutes here. I want to tell two stories real quick. You decide who your favorite eight-year-old is. First, Bailey Matthews, eight years old, competed in his first triathlon this last weekend. The thing is, he has cerebral palsy. He swam 100 yards, biked two and a half miles, and ran a mile. And there's, it's in London, he did this in London. There's a video of his finish. And it is the coolest video you've ever seen. He's got his walker with these big wheels on the end, right? And he's running down. He's got he's running down, doing the best he can. And then oh, he's got, I don't know, 20 feet left, ditches the walker. Just a baller. He's like, I'm done with this thing. Tosses the, the, the walker behind him. Takes a couple more steps. Step, 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 step. Boom, falls right on his face. Flat on his face. His dad standing right next to him doesn't even flinch. Everyone's cheering for him. Couple people deep. Everyone's cheering, yelling. The announcer's like, "Bailey, come on here! He comes here! He comes!" He gets right back up. Boom! 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 Bow! Falls right on his face again. Immediately, gets right back up and starts charging to that finish line. Crosses the finish line, and as soon as he does, the dad sweeps in and rips him up off his feet and swings him around in the air a couple times in a celebratory embrace. It's awesome. That's eight-year-old number one. Eight-year-old number two, Zion. When he was two, he came down with an infection. Both of his hands, both of his feet were amputated. His dream his whole life was to throw a football. That's all he wanted to do his whole life. He just wanted to be able to throw a football. And now he can because he is the world's first recipient of a double hand transplant. How on earth do we transplant hands? What does that? 40 doctors took 10 hours and they connected the bones with steel plates and then they um, connected the arteries and the veins, which sounds impossible. And then they um, established blood flow like reconnect the blood vessels and then they connected each muscle and each tendon. And then finally the surgeons reattached the nerves and then closed up attaching the skin. Like what in the world? 
And now little Zion, he had a press conference just the other day. And he's walking around, just hanging out like a cool eight-year-old kid. He just happened to have some bandages on his wrists. And he can move his hands and everything. He can move his fingers. His goal was to throw a football. But now he's kicked it up a notch. Now his dream is to play guitar and swing on the monkey bars and one day become a doctor. Now here's the thing. All all that stuff can wait. right? All that stuff can wait. He's got plenty of time. The thing he's most excited about, most grateful for, is now he gets to hold his little sister. And he says, I'm the same person who I used to be, but with some cool new hands. (laughs) Isn't it strange? With all this abortion talk, that there is a field of medicine and science dedicated to ending life prematurely. And there's an entire separate field of medicine and science dedicated to saving and improving human life. And it's so funny that we live in a society that seemingly doesn't care about human life. And then you see eight-year-old Bailey run towards the finish line at his triathlon. Bail this walker behind him. He's like, I don't need this thing anymore. Run to the finish line, fall over twice, get back up. Tears streaming down everyone's face. Like, how can that be? How can we simultaneously live in a world where people are okay with, with, with ending life prematurely and at the same time celebrating eight-year-olds crossing triathlon finish lines against all odds? I get it. Choose life. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. Later in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater Crusaders, America's the greatest country in the world. Thank you for being here. One hour left. Goodness gracious. Moving fast here. Uh, just during the break here, producer Brittany and I were talking about New York City and Brooklyn and the places to live and... I was saying when I first moved to San Diego, there's a part of town, part of downtown called East Village. And I was figuring out where to live. And everyone's like, oh, you got to live in East Village. It's up and coming. And I I went to visit. I was like, oh, wow. Hmm. And I realized there's a big difference between up and coming and already there. There, So there's still a ways to go with the up and coming term. And it just got me thinking about. Uh, New York City. I was there just a couple weeks ago, and and I love it. And just a few days ago, I found a blog post of old pictures of Penn Station. Have you ever been to Penn Station in New York City? So you got Grand Central Station, which is just this massive, beautiful station. And then you have Penn Station, which is a miserable underground rat hole. But here's the thing. 
Penn Station in New York City used to be just as majestic as Grand Central Station. It used to be just just as big, just as glamorous, just as unbelievable. 150 tall vaulted glass windows. It was the largest indoor space in the city. It was inspired by Roman baths. It was unbelievable. Built in 1902, I think. And in 1962, they tore it down. And, and here's the thing. They pitched it. They pitched tearing it down as this wonderful idea because the new underground train station would have modern amenities. And so, so you think of this, think of just Grand Central Station, right? For the sake of this conversation, because that's pretty much what it looked like. It was, if not grander and, and more detailed and more tremendous, but it's basically that, that, right? So imagine something like, oh, we're going to tear down Grand Central Station. People are like, why? Why would you do that? Well, we're going to update it with all the modern amenities. You want to know what the modern amenity was going to be at the new Penn Station? Fluorescent lighting. I'm not kidding. Fluorescent lighting. Vincent Scully, not Vin Scully, Vincent Scully, who's an architect professor at Yale, he said, one entered the city like a god, and now one scuttles in like a rat. See, if you just take a Google, the website was Mashable. It's a Mashable website. So just Google Mashable Penn Station old pictures or something. And you'll see the pictures. unbelievable. And, and I can't help but make some parallels to our country and Penn Station. A couple things. First, Penn Station, at the time, an unrivaled monument to what was possible. I don't know how you build a building like this a hundred years ago. What a testament to what's possible. And then sure, it started to deteriorate and they say that ridership was down and they couldn't afford to keep the place clean and all that stuff. And sure, our, our country has seen better days. I mean, our country found it as a testament to what's possible and it's seen better days in different ways. But then to tear it all down that's the craziest thing to me. To tear it down? Why are you tearing it down? And here's the thing that got, that got me most about the Penn Station demolition. It wasn't with some well-placed dynamite and the push of a button. The old Penn Station was torn down piece by piece. There were still passengers inside the station when there's cranes tearing down one brick at a time. There's this incredible picture of, of, a, of a massive crane carrying down a three-ton statue of an eagle. Three tons! It's a statue by Adolf Weinman. He was one of the great sculptures in American history, and it's terribly symbolic because I see this, this eagle being taken down, and I think of the eagle saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. what's going on here? What is, what's going on? I, I belong on the top of this building. Why are you taking me down? And now that eagle statue is at the National Zoo in Washington, D.C. I'm not kidding. It's, a, it's in the zoo. So you have this eagle on top of this majestic building is now residing in a zoo. And also on the front of Penn Station, there were these two 
angels. One represented day, the other represented night. And when they were tearing it all down, a couple weeks later, a New York Times photographer took a picture of both of those statues in a New Jersey landfill. And the angel representing day, huge statue, right? It's in the front of Penn Station, really high, so it had to be huge in order to see it. Uh, just, just wearing a flowing robe and a wreath and these giant wings, beautiful statue, upside down in a landfill, just tossed aside with all the other garbage from Manhattan. And Senator Moynihan at the time, he saw that picture in the New York Times and he said, you thought, what have we done? Has the city been sacked? Yes. <laughs> yes, the city has the city was sacked. And what stands out to me about this is when this building was being demolished, only a few people said anything. Yeah, a couple of preservationists and whatnot protested. It wasn't until after the building was torn down when people began to say what have we done? Right? It wasn't until statues on the building were in the landfill when people said, oh my gosh, what, what have we done? And I think that's our country, right? Things are being torn down piece by piece. Not, not with a demolition, not, not dynamite, not with a wrecking ball. In some places, yes, but, but mostly piece by piece, brick by brick. And not many people are noticing. Most people are still going to the train station and taking the trains just the same as the brick by brick is being taken down. Again, Penn Station was still open for business as they were tearing it down. So same thing. People are still going about their daily business, not even noticing the deconstruction. So this beautifully constructed palace that was built in 1776 and built up over the decades from there, it's now being torn down. And it won't be until the pieces of this building are in a landfill that people are going to say, what have we done? The times of this, ar- the, uh, the, excuse me, the uh, headline of this article, again, it's a Mashable website. The headline is, what Penn Station used to look like will make you weep with longing. And it quotes the New York Times in 1963, and they said, We will probably be judged not by the monuments we build, but by those we have destroyed. Isn't that the exact same thing we're working with here, right? We'll probably be judged not by the monuments we build, but by those that have been destroyed. It's amazing. Our founding fathers, they're the ones who built the monuments. Same thing with the Ben Franklin quote. You've heard it a million times. The lady says, what have you given us? And, she, and then Ben Franklin says, I've given you a republic if you can keep it. Same thing. We didn't have to build Penn Station. We just had to not tear it down. right? And we didn't have to build America. We just had to not tear it down. Gosh, that's all we're being called for. I think we'd be able to do that. I'll give you an example. A, a politics example, not to demean what we were all just talking about there, which is some big picture stuff. But Hillary last weekend said that capitalism needs a reset. And I heard that. I'm thinking, well, yeah, I agree. We got to get back to actual capitalism. Actual free markets. 
And then she said her plan to do that is to hike capital gains taxes. <laughs> so your way to reset capitalism is to tax investments? That's one of the pillars of the American building. People being left free to invest in businesses so that those businesses can grow and hire more people and provide more opportunity for others. And if some people get super rich after that, that's great. No skin off anyone else's back. Because other people are benefiting because of those people who were willing to take the risk and invest in the first place. So if you're taxing that, you're destroying one of the pillars that made our country so prosperous. And this is what's interesting about him. The people who tore down Penn Station, they did not say, we're going to tear down Penn Station, we're going to build something awful. They said, we're going to tear down Penn Station, we're going to make something even better with all the amenities, like fluorescent lighting. And I know when you think fluorescent lighting right now, you're like, oh, that's amazing. <laughs> but back then, they were like, oh, wow, fluorescent lighting. They said that we're going to tear this down and we're going to build something better. Same thing with Hillary Clinton. She didn't say we're going to tear down capitalism. She said we're going to reset it. So what that means is the concept of capitalism still, still appeals to people. That's why she said capitalism needs to be reset, not destroyed. But in the end, she's destroying it just the same. Or the goal is to destroy it just the same. Or dismantle it piece by piece. And when the economy gets worse and worse, and we start looking more like Greece, eventually people will say, what have we done? Now, don't get me wrong. Capitalism does, in fact, need to be reset. It needs to be reset, but reset back to its original glory. Because pure capitalism gives the most opportunity to the common person. So we want to reset capital. We, it's the same thing with the whole country. We don't want to tear down Penn Station. I just wish people restored it. Same thing with America. We, we certainly don't want to be, we want to restore America. Think about this next time you ever take a train to Penn Station and you look around and you're like, oh, <laughs> what this place used to be. One eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Later on the Blaze Radio Network. Slider Crusade is one eight 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 nine. Uh, what is it? One eight 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 nine hundred eighty three ninety three. Sorry, I forgot for a second. Wait, what did I say? One eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. So I'm just yelling out numbers. Six four two one eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. Sorry about that. Um, what to chat about now? Um, let me say one last thing about the Planned Parenthood story. Ongoing, right? We got eight more videos to come out. Good. 
the place where STEM Express is located. STEM Express is the company that buys the organs from uh, Planned Parenthood. And that's where the latest videos were filmed. It's in uh, Placerville, California. It's outside Sacramento, Northern California. It's a town that used to be known as, not, it didn't used to be known. The town name used to be Hangtown. That was the official name of the town when it was the third biggest city in California behind San Francisco and Sacramento. And it was named Hangtown, not because it was a cool place to hang out, but because there were so many hangings there. It's called Hangtown. <laughs> and they changed the name in like the 1850s. Like, well, it's probably not great for business. The thing is, with STEM Express being there, it looks like not much has changed in Placerville. The means, sure, but not much else. You heard that Planned Parenthood or STEM Express got a restraining order against the rest of the videos coming out because uh, it looks like in one of the videos... Someone from STEM Express or Planned Parenthood, we're not sure, says that they, I must be STEM Express, they get sometimes fully intact babies, which suggests that perhaps there are babies that are born before they are killed. And they, they're doing everything they can to prevent that video from getting out. And the fact that Planned Parenthood and STEM Express even want restraining orders speaks volumes you would think if what they were doing they if they really thought it was on the up and up they'd say oh yeah release the video we'll count you know we'll we'll explain everything in it but they don't because they can't they are so guilty and they know it there's a word i love i, I love this term beyond reproach Love it. When I first heard it, I was like, oh, that's awesome. To be beyond reproach. It means to be so far away from anything that could ever be used to make you look bad. That even if someone tried to make you look bad, they couldn't. I got a few friends in law enforcement, federal law enforcement, and they say if they ever get a warrant for someone, most of the time, They go into their house and it is full of the nastiest things that you could imagine. And they say when you walk into these houses, they know it's going to be easy to build a case against this person for whatever they're being charged with. And you may be thinking, yeah, Slater, my house is clean. So if police searched my house, they wouldn't find anything. It's not just your house. Everything you've ever looked at on the internet is able to be pulled out by law enforcement. If you don't want that to happen, may I suggest turning off your cloud. Every picture, every text, every email, everything you've ever sent is in the cloud and law enforcement can find it. So let's just say, let's say that the state is uh, trying to make a case. Um, I'll make this up because this isn't a thing, but let's say they're making a case against you that you're an adulterer. And you say that's outrageous. I've never cheated on my wife. And law enforcement comes in and says, oh, all right, but uh, what are these websites you've been to recently? What are these things you've searched for recently? Who's this person you texted? Who are these people that you've been looking at on Facebook and been messaging? Right? Like all these things. We think they're secret. They're all available. 
It's all available, and not just for your conscience, but for law enforcement to look at and paint a picture of your life. My point is, if someone performed an undercover sting on your life, right? If someone pretended to be someone else and lied to you about who they were and recorded you in places that you thought were private and recorded you doing things that you never intended for anyone to see, recorded it all and then released a highly edited video. What could they do to you? What painting could someone paint? Because they can only paint with the colors you provide. Does that make sense? Right? They can only paint a picture of you based on the colors that you give them. They can't paint with a color that that you don't give to them. So what painting are they going to be able to paint? What type of person can, can, uh, can an extremist undercover group make you become? Are you beyond reproach? Now, the answer is no. Okay, No one is. But we can try to be as much as possible. Planned Parenthood clearly is not. That's why they're so scared. Now, if anyone did this to me, I'd say, uh, oh, that's slightly embarrassing. (laughs) That thing I said to my wife, I didn't intend for other people to hear me call her that. But uh, I I guess sugar plum isn't that bad. So, yeah, sure. Release the video. But but Planned Parenthood, they have such a guilty conscience. They know that what's going to be revealed is awful. And they're doing everything they can to prevent these videos from ever being released. Because they know they are not beyond reproach. One of my favorite beyond reproach stories is, I, I think it was Billy Graham, but I don't know. He said he would never have a woman alone in his office ever. Never just him and a woman. So no one else can get the wrong idea and no one can ever make an accusation against him. Beyond reproach. Planned Parenthood is not, and we can learn a lesson from their pathetic backtracking and distraction techniques. This is Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. generation of talk radio this is mike slater Slater crusaders happy saturday thanks for being here uh so los angeles i live in san diego los angeles up the street uh, it should take should take an hour and a half to get there and it takes six i mean this is the it's the worst place um but <laughs> we really try to avoid going there as much as possible uh, for a lot of reasons. Traffic is one of them. But also, the L.A. City Council just voted unanimously to make it illegal to even possess high-capacity magazines. 12 to nothing vote. So here's the deal. Right now in California, it is against the law to manufacture high-capacity magazines. A high-capacity magazine is a magazine that carry, uh, holds uh, more than 10 bullets. So it's against the law to manufacture them. It's against the law to sell them. Uh, trade them or even give them away to someone else. But state law says you can still own them. 
So if you already have a high-capacity magazine, you can keep it in California. But in Los Angeles, now you can't even own one. And people in L.A. who do have 60 days from the time this law goes into effect to either destroy it or surrender them to authorities. Insert all classic Second Amendment articles here, right? I mean, you, you know the truth of all of this already, right? Um, gangbangers are not going to surrender their high-capacity magazines. Also, and if there's any trainers here listening, um, my understanding is if someone's in your home and they're looking to cause harm to your family, I mean, you miss a couple times, 10 bullets can go fast. So what are we doing here? Who are you? Who is this law for? What's it trying to stop? Last weekend, there were, oh, don't quote me, I'm ballparking this. There were 13 separate shootings and seven, no, what was it? Maybe, maybe 11 separate shootings, 13 people injured, something like that over just, you know, the weekend in Los Angeles, one section of Los Angeles. You think any of those people are going to surrender their high-capacity magazines to authorities? Are you kidding me? I want to share something. My, uh, a friend of mine watches Vice documentaries online. I've watched a couple up here and there, but he's seen them all. And he said, Slater, this reminds me of a documentary I saw about legalizing marijuana in Uruguay. Now, it's in Spanish, so I can't play the clip, but... The documentary, they go to a couple's home. Older couple. Eh, 70 years old, something like that. And uh, the lady says, well, these are my marijuana plants that I have growing in my backyard. And there are a bunch. And she said, these plants that we have, uh, 30 of them. She says, these are illegal. We have too many. You're only allowed six marijuana plants in Uruguay. And you have to register them. So you have to register your six, and you're only allowed six. And this couple, they have, you know, whatever, 30, and they're not registered. And this is what she said. She says, I think that the ones, excuse me, the only ones who are going to register are the young people. Hold on, wait. Wouldn't it be the other way? Don't you think it'd be... The old people would register and the younger people, I'm not registering. No, she says it's only the young people who are going to register. Why? She says because they're the ones who didn't live under dictatorship. All of us who know what the government can do to the people don't want to. I mean, don't want to register. Isn't that amazing? The ones who know what it's like to live under dictatorship, the ones who know what government is fully capable of, we don't want to hand over any ounce of our sovereignty to anyone else. And then the husband chimed in and said, uh, she said, in case, he said, in case they do not succeed, meaning um, the political party that wants to do this, and he says, you know, in case another political party wins, what's going to happen to the law? And what's going to happen to the people who registered? And he said this, he said, the law is like a knife. You have to use it to see if it cuts. Right? The law is like a knife. You have to use it 
to see if it cuts. Meaning you register your marijuana plants. They're legal now. 100% completely legal. So you register them now, but then another political party gets into power. And they want to ban marijuana again or whatever. They now know exactly who's registered. And she says the ones who aren't registered are those who understand what the government is capable of. We do not know in America what our government is capable of. People have no idea. Now, let's go back to the story. So let's replace marijuana with guns. I don't think L.A. officials know who has high-capacity magazines. They definitely don't. But if they did, you better believe that in 60 days, they would be knocking on the doors, asking people to turn them over. And if you don't turn it over, they'll search your home and they'll find them. And if you're registered for one and they don't find it, you better believe that you're going to pay a fine. And if you don't pay that fine, you better believe you're going to jail. Why, why wouldn't that be the course of action? 12 nothing. this past the L.A. City Twelve. No, not a single person was like, hold on now. Maybe that's not the best idea. And it's just an on-your-honor system now for surrendering your magazines. But let's go into this crazy world, right? I'm going to make up a crazy scenario where the L.A. City Council or the California, state of California, or, or uh, Washington, D.C., passes a law that says this gun, this type of gun is not allowed. And they know every single person who has it registered. And they knock on every single door to confiscate that gun. Is that that crazy of a scenario? Of course not. Of course that's what's going to happen next. I've never seen a gun law. This is the first one I know of. That says if you have this thing, you have to surrender. Most of them, you're grandfathered in, which state law says, right? State law says you can't ha- you can't buy them, you can't trade them, you can't sell them, uh, you can't give them away, you can't manufacture them. But if you have one, you can keep it. And that, of course, has happened with a lot of laws. But I've never seen one that says, oh, if you have this thing, you have to surrender it in 60 days or else. That's why, by the way, and I don't know, we can spend more time on this maybe later um, in the weeks to come, the legality of it. I don't even see how this is legal. Isn't this an ex post facto law? Article 1, Section 9, I think, um, says you can't punish someone for doing something that at that time was legal, but is now illegal. You can't, you can't do that. So if you bought a blue car which is legal, but then the government passes a law that says if you own a blue car, you go to jail. Right? Like That doesn't work because when you bought the blue car, it was legal to own a blue car. And now it's illegal, but you can't be... Right? So it's an ex post facto law. So if it was legal to own this magazine, and now it's not, so you have to hand it over or else you're going to go to jail. Like I don't see how that could possibly survive in court, but who knows these days. It's funny, not to get too off topic, but when uh, our founding fathers were writing the Constitution, debating the Constitution, they debated ex post facto laws for a while. But the debate wasn't, should we allow them or should we not allow them? The debate was, is it even necessary 
to put it in the Constitution. It's so obvious that ex post facto law shouldn't be allowed. Do we really even need to put it in there? <laughs> Which it's funny, most of the debates during the Constitutional Convention were of that nature. They weren't. Um, uh, gosh, the whole Bill of Rights was like that. So it was the whole Bill of Rights conversation, First Amendment. It wasn't. I don't know. Do people have the right to free speech or don't they? The conversation was: Do we even need to say that people do? Like, of course they do. The whole the Constitution before this is set up with the assumption that you have a right to free speech. Do we even need to articulate? Do we even need to write it down? Do we even need to put it on paper that you have a right to free speech? Of course you have a right to. Same thing with, with a lot of the things in the Constitution and with the ex post facto laws as well. It wasn't, hmm, was it a good idea or a bad idea? It was, I don't, do we even need to put this in there? But, but good thing they did. Because otherwise, of course, all these things would have been eroded by now. And I think the vote was seven to four by the colonies. Seven colonies said, yeah, put it in. Four colonies said, no, don't put it in. But those four colonies didn't say, don't put it in because it's stupid. They said, really? It's so obvious. Do we even need to put it in there? Don't even mention it. <laughs> Gosh, so many of the things to our founding fathers were so obvious to them. And we are so lost. We, we can't. Like, like the Second Amendment, the right to bear, keep and bear arms. Again, they debated whether or not to even put that in there. Because they're like, of course everyone has a right to keep and bear arms. And now we're confiscating high-capacity magazines. Jeez. one 933 Mike Slater Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. On the Blaze Radio Network. Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater Crusaders, thanks for being here today. Appreciate it. We only got a few minutes left here. Um, but we'll be back next week. We, uh, and on this note here, but the importance of getting out of the echo chamber. It'd be interesting to hear, uh, to see a poll on how many people know about Cease of the Lion versus how many people know about the Planned Parenthood videos, right? Of course, earlier we talked earlier about the uh, outrage of one versus the collective shoulder shrug of the other. That's an exaggeration, but you know. So we talked about that earlier. We have to get these stories out of the echo chamber, out away into people who, quote unquote, don't pay attention to politics. Because these things are far too important. And they're not politics. Let me give you an example. Uh, there's a bill in Congress right now. Now, most people, when I say that sentence, they already fall asleep or stop paying attention. Well, there's a bill in Congress... We got to get people to see what this bill is and why this bill is important. It's called the VA Accountability Act. Here's what the bill says. If you work at the VA and you are a terrible employee and you are corrupt and you are incompetent at your job, you can be fired. Now you think, well, why is it even a bill? Because <laughs> right now you can't get fired. What, we're over a year now away from the last VA scandal. Eight people were fired. So widespread systematic corruption, 0.002% of the VA was fired. Eight people. So this bill makes it easier for to fire bad actors. The president said he's going to veto it. He's going to veto it. So the president is siding with the bureaucrats 
over our veterans. Now, last year when the, when we found out about this, right, the president said he wanted swift reckoning. Swift reckoning. Eight people fired. And here we are over a year later, there's still 850,000 veterans with pending applications at the VA. 850,000 people waiting to have their application approved or denied. Almost a million. And 250,000 of them are already dead. I'm not kidding. Those applications go back two decades. And the VA says, well, gosh, we don't, we don't know when the people or how the people died, so we can't tell if it's from our own negligence or not. What? Now, here's what the president said. He said, we can't pass this bill because if we make it easier to fire bad employees, then it will, quote, dramatically impair the VA's ability to recruit top talent. Hmm. So you're saying if we fire incompetent, corrupt people, it will make it harder to hire competent and not corrupt people? Like, that, that doesn't make any sense at all. That's the opposite. Actually, the last place that you find real top talent is in the government. Because top talent knows that if you work for the government, you're going to have to put up with corrupt and incompetent people all around you all the time, right? Only in government can you be terrible at your job and get promoted far beyond your competence. So firing the losers is the best way to then make room and create an environment for the winners. But the president says, nope. No, we, we, we can't fire the bad people because that would make it harder to hire good people. That's his argument. So how do we get this story into the pop culture world? How do we get this story out of the echo chamber? Because this one's so obvious. And it's important because people are literally dying waiting to receive the care that we've promised them. So please get this story out to the people you know. It's very simple. Hey guys, did you know that Congress wants to pass a bill that makes it easier to fire incompetent and corrupt people at the VA, but the president said he's going to veto it because he thinks that if you, if you make it harder to, to, if you make it easier to fire corrupt people, then it's going to be harder to hire good people. <laughs> if I bring that up to people, spread that message far and wide. It's absurd. But people got to know about it if anything's ever going to change. And really, our veterans' health and lives depend on it. Slater Radio on Twitter. I hate it's going to be seven days till we see each other again, but we can hang out on Twitter until then. Have a wonderful rest of your weekend. We'll see you on Saturday. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network.